Welcome back to the Unknown Friends podcast. I'm your host, Rochelle Ferguson from Kitty Wayne Productions, and thank you so much for listening this week. We are well into season two of our weekly book reviews, and today marks the 24th episode of the season. Now, at this point, some of you may be wondering, is season two going to have the same number of episodes as season one? Because we had 30 episodes last season, but if we stop with 30 this year, that means we would be wrapping up the season sometime in August. Well, the schedule is a little different this year. Uh, Of course, season one began in April of 2020, so 30 episodes brought us almost to the end of November, just in time for a winter break. But season two started in January this year, so the timing is a bit different. Well, I cannot reveal all my secrets, but I will just assure you I do not plan to stop at 30 episodes in season two. There will continue to be book reviews this fall. We will keep marching right on even after we hit episode 30. Uh, Because, you know, for some reason, you guys keep listening to this podcast, so I'm going to try to keep producing. Now... In the middle of all that, I am planning something a little different on the podcast coming up in a few weeks. I can't tell you about it yet, but just hang on a week or two and I will be sharing more about it soon. On the other hand, patrons, you can already hear all about it if you listen to this month's bonus episode, which just came out today. If you are having any trouble figuring out how to access those monthly bonus episodes, just send me a quick message either on Patreon itself or through my Facebook or Instagram, which are linked in today's episode description, and I am happy to help you out. Um, And so in this month's preview episode exclusively for patrons, I shared all the details about the special stuff I have planned for the Unknown Friends podcast coming up in July and August. Okay, enough preliminaries. Today's book is one of a kind, and we have got lots to talk about. Father and Son by Edmund Goss. This is a memoir slash autobiography, and as we'll discuss, might involve a bit of fiction as well. It is the account, the story, of Edmund Goss's upbringing in a very religious home, and in particular, it focuses, not surprisingly, on Edmund's relationship with his father, Philip Henry Goss, who, from what I've read, went by Henry among his friends. So Henry Goss was an English naturalist, pretty renowned in his time, and I think it's right to talk about him a little as well as Edmund Goss, since the memoir is about the father just as much as it's about the son. So Henry Goss was born in 1810, and as quite a young man, he traveled overseas to North America and worked there for about a dozen years in Newfoundland and Quebec and eventually Alabama. And while there, he developed a fascination with science, especially animals, but plants as well. And he really taught himself to study and to write about the natural world and even to illustrate his writings. So he was working in Canada at first as a clerk and then a farmer 
and finally as a private tutor in America. But all the time he was studying the creatures around him, especially insects. And eventually, after he returned to England in 1839, he started getting some of his scientific writing published. And then in the meantime, in his early 20s, he had encountered Christianity in a powerful way and had converted. And this completely shaped the rest of his life. So even in his writing about the natural world, he was always bringing it back to God. And he believed that God's word and God's creation were the two things that together could best teach us about God himself. So, long story short, in the 1840s, he became connected with a Protestant group called the Plymouth Brethren, although later in life, at least according to his son, he kind of disassociated from any specific denomination. But he was with the Plymouth Brethren for a while, and it was in that group that he met Emily Bowes, who was a writer and illustrator and devout Christian, and they married when they were both around 40 years old in 1848. And by all accounts, theirs was a very happy marriage. And then Edmund Goss comes into the picture. He was born a year later. He was an only child. And tragically, his mother died of cancer when Edmund was eight years old. Now, a few years later, his father Henry remarried a Quaker this time, Eliza Brightwin, who sounds like she was a, a very pleasant, intelligent woman, definitely not your wicked stepmother type. Well, Edmund eventually went to boarding school and started getting interested in literature especially, and at age 18, he started working as a librarian in the British Museum in London. And he was also writing poetry, which in time he got published with help from his father, and he also started writing literary criticism. He, he traveled in Scandinavia in his early 20s and got interested in Scandinavian literature. And eventually he really helped get the works of Henrik Ibsen, the Norwegian playwright, translated and introduced to English society. Over time, Edmund became friends with lots of famous writers, Robert Louis Stevenson, Thomas Hardy, Robert Browning, Henry James, and many others. And throughout his life, he kept publishing poetry, but he's best remembered for his literary criticism and biographies. He was an expert on several British writers, especially poets like John Donne and Thomas Gray. And he actually helped some younger poets get established as well, William Butler Yeats and James Joyce in particular. Now, as far as Edmund Goss's personal life goes, um, as a young man, he left Christianity, much to his father's disappointment. And in many ways, that is what his memoir, Father and Son, is all about. His religious upbringing and his gradual move away from religion. Uh, Edmund got married shortly before his 26th birthday to a young painter, Ellen or Nellie Epps, and the couple had three children and were together for over 50 years until in 1928. Edmund died at age 78 after an operation, and then Nellie passed away the following year. 
Now, I think father and son is a very complicated piece of writing to study. On the surface, it is the strictly true account of a boy's childhood and teenage years in a devout home, his sometimes warm, sometimes strained relationship with his religious and scientific father, and his ultimate break away from his father and his father's beliefs. That's what Edmund Goss himself says that his memoir is. He stresses in his opening pages that everything in the book is meticulously accurate. Now, the book was published in 1907, almost 20 years after his father's death, and Edmund had, shortly after his father's passing, already written a biography of his father. Well, in his memoir, Father and Son, he claims that he's telling the true story, that his father had been a well-respected scientist and writer, but that very few people knew what he was really like. So Edmund will pull back the veil and expose the truth. Okay, well, all this is good and well, but it has been pretty much proven now that father and son is not a strictly true account. Between them, Henry and Edmund Goss wrote scores of books, and people have also studied their unpublished writings, their letters and journals and things like that, and these studies have revealed just how inaccurate father and son is at times. Uh, the writer Henry James actually said once that Edmund Goss had a genius for inaccuracy, which rather amuses me. And Edmund himself admitted that his memory was like a sieve. And so since he's writing about a time in his life roughly 50 years in the past, it should be expected that he won't accurately remember all the details of his childhood. And on top of that, the biographer Anne Thwaite, who has thoroughly researched and written biographies of both Edmund Goss and his father, Henry Goss, she says that there's also stuff in Father and Son that Edmund just changed or invented on purpose to make a better story, even though it's not true to what happened in his childhood. And Thwaite says, frankly, that there's a lot of fiction in Father and Son. So, in other words, studying this book, this purportedly true memoir, is a tricky business. Certainly there is plenty of truth in it, but how to discern the true from the false is not so easy. Then on top of that, although Father and Son isn't an incredibly well-known book, it has never been out of print, and among the people who are familiar with it, it has gained a reputation that it does not necessarily deserve. In particular, the father, Henry Goss, gets kind of pulled out of the book itself and fictionalized further in readers' imaginations. A lot of readers tend to focus on the worst descriptions from him in the book and forget the positive descriptions, and they kind of create their own image of Henry Goss in their mind. They end up thinking of him as a monster, a tyrant in his home, a cruel, harsh, abusive father, a religious fanatic driven by wildly unreasonable beliefs to stifle his 
poor, helpless son and make his life miserable. This is grossly inaccurate. And even though Edmund Goss paints an often unflattering portrait of his father in his memoir, he does not portray his father in this light, as a monster or anything like it. Edmund does, I think, consider his father a religious fanatic, but interestingly, he tries to make the claim that religion was the one and only thing that was wrong with his father, that his father's mind and heart, his personality, his talents, all combined to make him a really wonderful person. It was just Christianity that sort of skewed him. So I'm getting ahead of myself, but I'm just trying to say that, number one, Edmund is not strictly faithful to the facts of his upbringing, and number two, readers have taken his less than glowing portrayal of Henry Goss and have run away with it. I think they've imposed maybe their own negative experiences with religious people or assumptions about religion, and they've piled all that on the person of Henry Goss, who does not deserve it. But um, I should share more about the progression of the memoir Father and Son before I do any more analysis of it. Sorry, I am getting out of order. So Edmund describes his young childhood while his mother was still alive, and although even he admits that in many ways it was a happy childhood, he tends to focus on the negative. So as a kid, he didn't really get to interact with other children. And just in general, there were some strict practices his parents had in place in their home. Lots of long prayers, um, austere Sundays, that kind of thing. But it, it's frustrating and almost almost comical how self-focused Edmund's narration is, how much he harps on his childhood suffering when so many other children face suffering that's so much worse. Edmund was loved. He was not abused. He had two parents in the home. Um, the family was not rich, but they had financial security. So what you get in the memoir is complaints about like how how endless and fatiguing the family prayers were before bedtime and how occasionally the family fasted for some religious purpose and ate only bread and water for a whole day like wow this poor kid had a horrible life am i right it honestly is a bit laughable at times edmund's self-pity and yet i also found his writing to be rather annoying sometimes because there's a lot of self-justification and indirect criticism of his parents. So he'll say things like, you know, oh, I was not neglected as a child. I would never want to imply that I was neglected. But my parents did spend a lot of time working, especially doing religious work. And I, a tender babe of six years old, experienced many hours of solitude in my little garret room, vainly endeavoring to keep myself company. It's just, like, I, I get annoyed by that. If you were neglected, say you were neglected. If you weren't, don't pretend that you were. Don't do this wishy-washy stuff where you try to have your cake and eat it too. Because here's the truth. You're trying to 
put your parents in a bad light while making it seem like that's not what you're trying to do. In my opinion, that is cheap. (laughs) And Edmund does this kind of thing throughout the whole book. And to a careful reader, I think this undermines some of his credibility because it shows that he's being a little manipulative. But, be that as it may, I'm sorry, I have a hard time just describing the events of this book without commentating. So his childhood is mostly okay, but he complains about a lot of things. And then everything shifts when his mother passes away from cancer. So his father's left to raise him alone, which, frankly, Henry Goss doesn't seem to be really fit for, but he tries. Henry takes Edmund and they move to Devon, and his father starts really getting into marine biology. But meanwhile, change is happening in the scientific world. This is the time of Darwin, and more specifically of the geologist Charles Lyell, who challenged the Christian belief in a young earth. Well, scientist Henry Goss is not about to be shaken from his belief in a young earth, whatever other scientists say. So there's an interesting portion of Father and Son in which Edmund records his father's response to Lyle. Henry Goss actually wrote a book propounding a theory which he hoped would reconcile the Bible's account of creation with the science of his day, but alas, it did not. And although this situation was not the only or even the main circumstance that slowly eroded Henry's reputation in his son's mind, there were a number of incidents that Edmund records from his youth that combined to make him question how much his father really knew about the world, about God, about life in general. For instance, As a young boy, Edmund had been taught that idolatry was the act of worshipping or praying to anything other than God, and that God would severely punish idolaters. So Edmund recounts an occasion when he was pretty young, and out of curiosity, he decided to test this. So he knelt down in front of a wooden chair and prayed his usual daily prayer, except that he substituted O chair for the usual address to God. And when he was not struck down by lightning, he decided that his father didn't know what he was talking about with regard to idolatry. And so it was a number of incidents like this one that Edmund says accumulated over time to make him doubt his father's credibility. Well, as a teenager, interestingly, Edmund went through a devout religious phase, despite the struggles he had experienced against some of his father's restrictions. He was baptized, and his father was so excited and had big plans for him to become some great religious leader, a minister, or a missionary, or something. But over time, Other influences inevitably seeped into Edmund's life, especially once he was sent away to boarding school and was meeting more people. And in particular, according to his memoir, literature, especially Shakespeare, dawned on him rather suddenly because he claims fiction had no place in his childhood home for religious reasons. Now, the biographer Anne Thwaite 
contests this claim somewhat, but we won't go into all that. Be that as it may, Edmund portrays fiction as an entirely new experience that he encountered as a teenager, and it changed his life. At this point, he was still wanting to be religious and and please his father, but he also felt kind of this call toward stories and and poetry that his father considered pagan and, and harmful. And so Edmund had this inner struggle between the two poles. And long story short, according to his memoir, there just came a point where, in fact, at the peak of his religious fervor, he became disillusioned with religion. He was hoping for an emotional, spiritual experience, and none came. And from that point on, he just started to care less and less about Christianity until finally a confrontation with his concerned father made him face a definite choice between his father's beliefs and the world at large. And Edmund chose to abandon Christianity. And that is exactly where the memoir ends. Now, we're starting to get kind of short on time, but I have already explained some of my hesitations about this book, its inaccuracy and its its bias. But all that aside, there is something undeniably true here. A devout Christian father attempted to raise his son to share his beliefs, and his son rejected them. That is true, and that needs close analysis. And while it is difficult to perceive the perfect truth about Henry Goss, the father, through Edmund's slanted narration, I think we can make some deductions about what happened in that relationship, what went wrong. On the most surface level, I think it's pretty clear that Henry Goss had some theological issues that led to some confusing choices about how to live life and how to raise his son. Things like, for instance, his understanding or misunderstanding of prayer and idolatry. He had some very strong opinions that were not always consistent or logical. And his his indiscriminate rejection of everything he considered pagan, including some literature and art that might really have been a wonderful addition to his home if he had understood how to deal with it from a Christian perspective instead of just writing it all off. From Edmund's memoir, Henry Goss sounds like kind of an all-or-nothing person, and so that can be really confusing to a child. And it can actually lead to a lot of unreasonable and inconsistent behavior when you, you don't recognize the nuances of things. But then on a deeper level, I think we can perceive from the book that Henry Goss didn't adequately acknowledge his son's individuality. He was so focused on guiding and teaching his son and making sure that Edmund would believe in God and and become a minister of God that he didn't really take the time to find out what Edmund thought about all this. There There was just a lack of intercommunication. Henry communicated and communicated and communicated, but he didn't seem to listen very well. And that, naturally, is is going to frustrate a young person eventually. 
And lastly, on a closely related note, and perhaps most importantly, it seems that Henry Goss didn't and maybe couldn't understand his son. He didn't tend to listen very much, and on top of that, didn't seem to have the ability to put himself in his son's shoes or to perceive what his son was thinking and feeling. He couldn't discern rebellion simmering under the surface. He couldn't discern confusion. He couldn't discern sincerity or deception. He, he couldn't really discern anything. And of course, I'm viewing all this from a Christian perspective, trying to figure out what helps and what hinders a Christian in the process of parenting. But interestingly, secular writers also identify Henry Goss's biggest problem to be his inability to discern and understand. So to refer to Anne Thwaite, the biographer, once more, another writer, actually D.J. Taylor, reviewed her biography of Henry Goss and wrote this comment in his review. The elder Goss's chief failing, swiftly identified by his biographer, was a want of imagination. He could see and record, but he could not extrapolate or deduce. That coincides with what I felt was going on in Father and Son between Henry and Edmund. The father was a brilliant man, a brilliant observer of nature, but he seemed unable to see under the surface, to fathom what was going on in his son's mind and heart. Now, I say all this trying to understand from reading Edmund's memoir what went wrong with his father's parenting, but of course, ultimately, no parent is perfect, and there are always two people involved when someone is trying to pass on values to the next generation. There's the parent, and there's the child. And no matter how loving or wise or discerning a parent may be, the choice is always the child's as to whether they will accept or reject what the parent offers. So I want to try to learn from books like this and, and, and figure out what Henry Goss, quote-unquote, did wrong. But at the same time, I wouldn't ultimately say that I blame him for his son's rejection of Christianity. It, it's really fascinating to me how Edmund ends this book. He gives a final assessment of his father and says that Henry Goss was a wonderful man, except for his religion. And I'm going to close this review just by reading you this short passage in which I think Edmund Goss reveals his hand. He reveals that he has a bone to pick with Christianity. And I think in some sense this whole memoir has been not about his father or himself, but just about him attempting to justify his own departure from the religion of his upbringing. This is what Edmund writes. What a charming companion, what a delightful parent, what a courteous and engaging friend my father would have been, and would preeminently have been to me, if it had not been for this stringent piety which ruined it all. Let me speak plainly. Evangelical religion, or any religion in a violent form, 
divides heart from heart. It sets up a vain chimerical ideal in the barren pursuit of which all the tender, indulgent affections, all the genial play of life, all the exquisite pleasures and soft resignations of the body, all that enlarges and calms the soul, are exchanged for what is harsh and void and negative. It encourages a stern and ignorant spirit of condemnation. It throws altogether out of gear the healthy movement of the conscience. It invents virtues which are sterile and cruel. It invents sins which are no sins at all, but which darken the heaven of innocent joy with futile clouds of remorse. This is Edmund Goss's assessment. And honestly, this moment in his book is a little startling because it's just not justified by the narrative that he's laid out prior to it. I think it's tragic that this is where he's landed. Um, and yes, it's it's clear as you read his account that there were some pretty off-base theological beliefs in his upbringing that fostered confusion and, and discouragement and all that. But even so, this is an extreme reaction, a sweeping, indiscriminate reaction. Funny that the stark all-or-nothingness of his father's personality, which Edmund disliked, had perhaps unconsciously been inherited by the son. So, this is a fascinating book. There, There is so much more to say about it, but I, I think I'm out of time for today. Um, patrons, I hope that in last month's preview episode of our June book reviews, you heard my reading of the first chapter of Father and Son. That gives you a first-hand look at the beginning, at least, of Edmund's narrative. And if this book sounds like something you'd find interesting, I hope you read it. I, I certainly recommend it as something profoundly thought-provoking. And I would love to discuss it with you more if you read it. Uh, just send me a message on social media or through Patreon, and I would really enjoy hearing what you think of Edmund Goss's memoir. And that is all for today, folks. Thank you so much for listening, and tune in again next week for episode 25 if you're interested in hearing about my favorite Charles Dickens novel, Bleak House. This is an exceptional piece of literature, such rich characters and themes, and some innovative narrative techniques as well. I'm really looking forward to talking about Bleak House next week, so I hope you join me then. As always, I am your host, Rochelle Ferguson, and to learn more about me and the plays I write, just visit my website, kittywayandproductions.com. I'll see you next Wednesday. Thank you.